we, we will be jumping right in this morning to 2 Corinthians 5. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to start, we can back up a little bit, and we're going to start in verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, that is, outward appearance or um, just kind of facts. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listen to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Of all the advertisements you and I come across, it may not mean much, for me to say that one caught my attention recently, but this ad seemed different to me, and it, it became both fascinating and saddening at the same time once I discovered what it was about. Well, first of all, its spokesperson was Matthew McConaughey, a, a popular actor who tends to carry a certain influential presence with him. So the ad had McConaughey going for it. Second, the title. It was called The Art of Living. The Art of Living. That sounds mysterious enough, but also it sounds great. Third, the pitch went something like this. Man, the last three years have been crazy, haven't they? Maybe you're like me and you feel like you've lost your way a bit. Well, join me for a one-time free live stream event where you can get more out of your life more purpose, more joy as you get in tune and find your frequency. You'll hear from a few friends of mine who are motivational and successful just so you can get on the highway to more. Interesting, right? Now granted, it was vague enough and positive enough for anybody to say, you know, McConaughey, I want that. I need whatever that is because I know something's missing right now. If we're honest, we may feel stuck enough or discouraged enough to wish we could get some direction too. Maybe more purpose, more joy. 
I'll share a bit more about how the art of living swung for true purpose and joy and missed. But for now, if we as followers of Jesus Christ feel any sense of aimlessness or purposelessness, we don't need the art of living for direction. Paul spells out our miraculous identity and purpose here for us in 2 Corinthians 5. At men's breakfast yesterday, we read how the word of God is like a light to our path, a lamp that lights the way in front of us. So as we enter into various transitions from maybe some of you from school to summer, from spring to blistering heat, from midweek gatherings to summer family nights, my hope is that we can enter those changes with a renewed sense that we have a glorious Savior whom we love and who has given all the direction that we need, all the purpose, all the joy. First, we need a little background for 2 Corinthians. As you might guess, 2 Corinthians is a letter to a particular church, a church with which Paul had a little bit of history. Paul writes this letter to a church who has allowed unrepentant people to do awful things and still be accepted as Christians. They have had a bad habit of suing one another. Their gatherings are characterized by division and factions during the Lord's Supper. And their pursuit and practice of some of the spiritual gifts is just chaotic. And yet, Paul doesn't lose patience with them. For these are people he calls the church of God. Sanctified in Jesus Christ and called to be saints. That's a remarkable lesson in and of itself for anyone who's quick to lose patience with the people of God. Paul has this unique love for the Corinthian church as he's dedicated multiple letters, perhaps even more than just these two, in order to teach and shepherd the Corinthian church. Listen to how he describes his relationship with these people. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then... As your father, be imitators of me, he says. In addition to Paul himself, Timothy, as Paul's most trusted son in the faith, has also spent time with the Corinthian church teaching them and caring for them. It makes sense then why Paul would start his letter of 2 Corinthians as being written and sent from he and Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. That's how it starts. At this point, Paul has written a few times to them and is making plans to be with them in person. But something that he feels the need to address is that there have been some sort of murmurings of doubt as to whether Paul himself is legit. Is he truly an apostle of Jesus Christ? He's not as charismatic as some of the other people we've seen who call themselves apostles. Or he's a bit harsh sometimes. Or, you know, you can just imagine all the questions. Is he misleading us? Does he have our best interests in mind? For this very reason, Paul spends a good bit of time defending the reality that he is a true apostle of Jesus Christ who's not self-interested or deceitful. He's not after protecting his 
personal credibility, but he wants to ensure the veracity of the gospel as proclaimed by him to the Corinthians. He would sooner die than see doubt get cast on the legitimacy of the gospel of Christ. And if he is a messenger of that gospel, then it matters how the Corinthians perceive him. Is he faithful or is he a phony? Apparently, there are some who would claim to be super apostles, who even have their own sort of letter of recommendation, their certificate of authenticity that they wave around to try and prove that they are super apostles. Paul's not interested in playing that game, but he does make sure that the Corinthians know what level of suffering he has endured and how seriously he takes his task. So you may come across this section, sections like this in 2 Corinthians with the thought, what does Paul defending his apostleship have to do with me? I'm, I'm no apostle. But I think Paul would say, you may not be an apostle, but you are a follower of Jesus Christ, aren't you? And what's interesting is that as he's defending his ministry, he's laying out a model for the Christians in Corinth and all the readers of his letters to imitate. He's saying, I want you to know how Timothy and I operate. I want you to know how we operate. Why? So you can follow our example. Up to this point in 2 Corinthians, Paul has been using a lot of we and us. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We do not lose heart. We are of good courage. Sure, he's talking about he and Timothy, but what he's saying is meant to extend to the Corinthians as well and extend to us. It's as if throughout the letter he is still echoing what he said all the way back at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, be imitators of me. Much of the first five chapters of 2 Corinthians are spent on Paul explaining why he and Timothy do what they do, why they are so passionate about people knowing and following Jesus completely, why they're traveling all around Asia Minor and Greece so that more people hear about Christ and why they have been so serious when it comes to correcting and exhorting the Corinthian church who is at risk of being told things that aren't true and acting in ways that undermine the good news they initially believed. It's in his own explanation for who he is that we see Paul describing the unchangeable truth about our own identity. So here's the big picture, the big idea. Who we are has been radically redefined by what God has done through Jesus, making us living channels through which God reconciles people to himself. So we've been rad who we are has been radically redefined by what God has done through Jesus. And by living channels, think, think of like a channel of water, a, 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 a way for which something to pass through, a channel through which God reconciles people to himself. So first... Who we are has been radically redefined by what Jesus has done. Paul refuses to speak about anything he's doing or anything the Corinthians are meant to do without first acknowledging the reality that all of us were once something before we encounter this glorious Savior who by his spirit has changed us into something completely different. From now on, he says, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, now not counting their trespass against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Again, Paul is explaining how do Paul and Timothy operate. One of the chief ways that they operate is by looking at people not at outward appearances or not according to their, their status, uh, humanly speaking, but according to their status in Christ. If they're so, so worried about identifying people of influence and power and notoriety, they'd need certain criteria. But rather than doing that, rather than giving credence to these super apostle guys who have their certificate of authenticity, instead they practice a certain kind of simple binary identification. Not the binary that we were just talking about of gender per se. I'm mainly thinking ones and zeros. The word therefore in verse 16 refers back to the judgment that every person will face and the reality that there are those who either respond to Christ's death by continuing to live for themselves or there are those who live for Jesus who for their sakes died and was raised. Every person that Paul and Timothy interact with and every person that each of us will come across should be identified by this fact. They are either a follower of Christ or they're not. That sounds simple, but I think Paul will show us why. Since Paul's addressing the Corinthian believers, he focuses on the identity of believers first. The way he does so is by making three statements in which he starts with God and then he moves to us. Teens, you'll remember youth camp last year. He is, therefore I am. That's how we know who we are as we acknowledge who he is first. We know who we are based on our relationship to God. So he starts with, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, if this is true of someone, then he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Everyone who is united to Jesus, who for their sake died and was raised, they become a new creation. Everything on the outside may still look the same, but inwardly they are a completely new person. You would probably know that DNA is something that's impossible to change. It is embedded into our bodies, into our cells. It is fixed. And yet, it's as if Paul is saying, you are so new that the building blocks of your entire life have changed. You have been recreated. You are a new person. And I know for some of us, that's, it's hard to look back and say, was there really that drastic of a change? Am I completely a different person? Paul would say, if you're in Christ, yes, the old person has passed away. The new is in play right now. This is Paul's first major identity statement about us as Christians. You are a new creation made so by the Spirit of God. And I felt this morning that at the very least some of, some of us need to hear just that. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation made so by the Spirit of God. You are not who you once were because you no longer live for yourself. You now live for him. 
Your purpose has changed and been completely overhauled. Your existence is not one of uncertainty. It's one of, I will live for him who died and was raised for my sake. So, begins with Christ, it ends with us. Paul makes this move a few times, jumping back and forth between who God is and who we are. If we're in Christ, then we are a new creation. Okay, back to God. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Okay, starting there, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, so the whole reason why we even have a chance at being made new is because God, through his son, Jesus Christ, reconciled us to himself. This is the first time Paul uses the word reconcile, and I'm convinced he packs it into the next verses as many times as humanly possible. You think he's trying to make a point to the Corinthians about God's purposes in the world and what he's done to them and in them and how he's dealt with us? That would be a yes, to reconcile. I've always reduced reconcile to mean mending what is broken. This is what I tell my kids when they need to apologize and ask for forgiveness. Go reconcile to your brother or sister. Go mend and put things back together. But I learned this week that it's so much more than just fixing the problem, fixing the relationship. This specific word, reconciliation, is defined as the exchange of hostility for friendly relationship. Mending is the result, sure, but it involves taking existing hostility and trading it for a friendly relationship, swapping hostility for peace. It's overwhelming to think that the God of the universe, whom we hated with every fiber of our being at one point, and who we refused to worship properly, the only one who could make reconciling possible, well, through Jesus Christ, he exchanged hostility, the one that existed between you and him, and me and him, he exchanged it for friendly relationship. Though he did not have to, it's his mercy and his kindness that has made that even possible. All of this is from God. And I think we were singing that together this morning. Merit not my own. All this is from God. It is finished because he chose to finish it. It is done because he has made it complete. And he has traded that hostility for peace. And guess what? We start to see that we're not only a new creation. Something else is different also. And Paul's getting there. He's kind of taking time to tell us. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation, of seeing others experience this exchange of hostility for peace. So hold on to that because he'll, he'll explain a bit more. But back to God's identity, and then we'll come back to ours. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. How, how was he doing that? How did he plan to do that? by mercifully not counting their trespasses against them. Okay, that's God, and then us, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God, who has set his sights on reconciling the entire world to himself, all of creation, and people from every tribe and tongue, has begun doing so by not counting their trespass against them. We've heard this verse often, but Psalm 32, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. 
for whose iniquity is not counted against him. That's the offer that God holds out to every person. Your sins, no matter how awful or rebellious or sinister or seemingly benign, will not be counted against you if you believe that Jesus died so that they would be counted against him instead. That's the offer extended to the whole world. And you know what? That very message, carrying that message, that very invitation has been entrusted to us, to you and I, as new creations, as those who know Jesus and experience his glory, and that that he is better than anything else this world can try to sell us, and any advertisement for a better life it offers, and that he alone can save. So you can see that Paul quickly proclaims that we are new creations in Christ, but he is on this path to telling us something else that we are. We're not just, as as amazing as being a new creation is, we're not just that, because we have this ministry of reconciliation, which includes a message of how people can be in peaceful relationship with God through Christ. So that's where the second point comes in. We are now living channels through which God reconciles people to himself. Follow Paul's logic here. You are a new creation in Christ who has been entrusted with this wonderful role of bearing a message to other people such their their hostility with God can be traded for trespass for giving peace. Then, Paul says, therefore, and the trick for therefores is what are they there for? What are they pointing to? They're a link. Therefore, because all of this is true, because this is where you find yourself as someone who has believed in Jesus Christ, because we have been made new by God himself, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. Now, if you're Apostle Paul, he is following this logic because he sees a direct connection between what Jesus has done for him and what he's now doing in strengthening the church at Corinth. And I wonder if we view ourselves this way with with regularity. Do we see such a strong connection between why we operate, our MO, why we do what we do, and what Jesus has done in reconciling us? They're inextricably linked. And that's where we're invited to imitate Paul. He sees such a close relationship between Jesus has done this for me, therefore I am this way. This is who I am. My, he says the love of Christ controls us. We are governed by the love of Christ because the love of Christ has been so clearly displayed to us and we are so changed by it that we cannot think about doing anything in our life, working or speaking or parenting, that is not controlled and, and governed by the love of Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ, that is, emissaries or these representatives for Christ who are sent out and whose entire lives exist to point others to the possibility of being reconciled to God through the gospel, which is the message of reconciliation. I found this graphic helpful. I'm borrowing it from the uh, 411 evangelism training that some of you were at on Wednesday, so consider this a refresher if you've seen this before. This passage makes those two very clear identity statements. In Christ, we are first a new creation. 
but it also says that we are ambassadors for him. My hunch is that we'd be quick to claim the new creation part, but maybe not so much the ambassador part, when in reality, these two are inseparable. These two facts about who we are in Christ are inseparable. In other words, there's not a Christian in this room who is not also an ambassador for Christ. There is not a person who has been made into a new creation who is not also everywhere they go, every situation that they're in, every decision that they make is not also an ambassador for the risen Lord Jesus. When you become a new creation, you also become an ambassador, a representative sent out for Christ's renown and glory. Ambassadoring is not left to some small select team. It's all of us. It's also not limited to those who have been a new creation for a long time. Arguably, this passage shows us that we were made a new creation in part for the purpose of being Christ's ambassadors. That's one of the reasons why he made us alive together with Christ. God designed salvation in such a way that when we are saved, we are simultaneously enlisted into the role of reconciling other people to God. Now, we, we are making the appeal. We are not the ones who have the power to reconcile, but that's what Paul gives the example of just a few verses later. He's, he says, God's making his appeal through us. So what does he do? We implore you, be reconciled to God. He's, say, he's saying, if, if I am the the channel or the conduit for you to be reconciled to God. Here, here's the appeal. Be reconciled. Today is the day of salvation. And the call is for all of us who are here who do not know Christ. Today is the day of salvation. The appeal to you is going out this morning. Be reconciled to God because it's possible for you to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And this is where we have to be honest with ourselves as Christians. Because even as I prepared this sermon and spoke or wrote out or thought the phrase ambassador for Christ a, a bunch of times, I realized that something starts to get riled up in me, and it may happen in you too. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors. You are an ambassador for Christ. You are an ambassador. But I don't want to be. At times, everything in us wants everything to do with enjoying peace with God and wants nothing to do with telling others about the offer that is available to them or simply being a consistent verbal witness to Jesus. It's daunting. You open yourself up to hurt and rejection. And I'm not simply just talking about uh, going and sharing the gospel with strangers. I'm talking about just simply, okay, people might know I'm a Christian, but have they heard it from my mouth that Jesus, I live for Jesus who died and for my sake was raised. Uh, do, do they know how deeply I love my Savior who has given it all for me? Therefore, all of me is his. I'll just, I'll just slowly back away from that. I don't, I don't want to, the ambassador thing is, sounds intense or it sounds involved or it sounds um, unclear. But friends, the fact that Paul ties our ambassadorship with our new creation identity means that we are ambassadors regardless. 
This does not mean that you have to be some rock star evangelist. What it does mean is that the more you treasure what Jesus has done for you, the more you stare into the bottomless pit of God's mercy where your sin has been thrown and you look up and see God himself in Jesus Christ as uh, chapter 4 says, let light, the God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If we've experienced that and we see Jesus with arms open wide to you who were once dead in your trespasses and sins, then you look behind you and you see that there are numerous people that you are connected with who could very well experience this same reconciliation with God that you're living in right now. The question is, if this is who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ, unavoidably so, how can you and I take steps towards living like faithful ambassadors for Christ? Now, some of you may be thinking, I am, I am in the most intense and, and real and uh, perplexing season of suffering that I've ever experienced. I know, just look across the room, we can say that it's some, I hear some of you saying something similar or that it's that uh, you, can't fo- if you can't focus on anything else because this is, you've been dogged by something or you feel weak. That doesn't disqualify you from being an ambassador, one who has been sent to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. It might look very different. It might simply be I'm resolved to intercede for people while I'm laying flat on my back or I'm resolved to at least show some level to someone that Jesus is strong and powerful enough to keep someone like me afloat, to keep someone like me trusting in him even when the odds seem so far against me. If if there's any way for us to take ambassador and remove whatever individual kind of picture or stereotype that we have of that and to say this applies to every Christian in this room in any situation that you're in as you relate to people who do not know Christ, as we uh, function together as a church family. We are ambassadors of Christ. And, and you can take these next two kind of applications, just kind of, kind of tweak those to what, what does this look like in my life? Uh, the first application of how, how do we start? How do we go about doing this or how do we continue doing this? First, reject worldly filters and practice thinking of people according to their truest identity. What do I mean by that? I'm pulling off of Paul's words. We regard no one according to the flesh anymore. The first that applies to is believers. Reject worldly filters. Think about people as God describes them. First, and practice that simple binary, believer, unbeliever. That's first, first, every person is made in the image of God. Second, the most important identifying factor about them is do they know Jesus or not? Are they dead in their sins or are they alive in Christ? Consider last week and the call to see our need for one another as the body of Christ. Do you look at the people in this room with the true sense that you need them and that they belong to Jesus? Uh, are they people that I go to church with or are they brother and sister? 
spiritual mothers and fathers, spiritual sons and daughters. If not, Jesus has said as much. This is his body whom you need and who needs you, and they are his precious inheritance. Consider rejoicing over the fact that we get to sing with and eat with and pray with others who are new creations in Christ with us. Think about one another this way. And then apply this to unbelievers. Unbelievers are what Paul describes a chapter before as blinded by the God of this world. It doesn't matter whether they are young or old, sick or healthy, influential, poor, rich, black, white, or from this country or that country, male or female, or presenting as the opposite, homeless, a business owner, or a busboy. Let the leading fact of their identity and your relationship to them be this. They are lost and not yet reconciled to God, and they will one day stand before God and receive what is due for their sin. We didn't talk about this, but... uh, Paul, Paul mentions that, that everyone is going to give an account for their sin. And, and because of that, because we know the fear of the Lord, we persuade people. We know what's coming. And we want to persuade others. We want to show them the truth. Because if we don't lead with this, if we don't lead with uh, like Jesus looking over Jerusalem and saying, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he weeps over Jerusalem. If we, if we don't lead with that, What's, what's to say that we'll, we'll move an inch closer to them with this message of reconciliation that we have and are entrusted with to bring to them and to appeal to them, be reconciled to God? If we don't first see who they truly are, and it might sound simplistic, but that's what Paul means when he says, we regard no one according to the flesh. Jesus to Paul used to be an enemy. He used to be this, this foolish man And then Jesus struck him with blindness, and now Paul sees, I don't regard Jesus the same way that I used to by appearances. I regard him as the Lord of all, and just like I don't regard anybody that I come across according to appearances, they are either in Christ with whom I can have sweet fellowship, or they are not demanding that there at least be some some thought of or some consideration of the fact that they are lost in their trespasses and sins. And it might be hard for us to apply this to people that we know really well, uncle so-and-so or the cousin that you're really close with or the neighbor or the person you worked with for 10 years that will never, this, it's a fact of their life that will never show on their exterior. We regard no one according to the flesh because we know that, we know God has given clarity and insight into what is fundamentally true about every person. The second thing that we can do to begin kind of owning who we are as ambassadors of Christ, to practice praying for and entering your work days, your home, your family gathering with the awareness that you are an ambassador for Christ. And you can make that list go on. Your daily conversations, uh, all, all of the scenarios that you might find yourself in in the course of a day with the awareness that you are an ambassador for Christ. It's who you are. Ask the Spirit to help you keep that front and center. As you view people through this lens of 
either reconciled to God and my brother and sister in Christ versus not reconciled to God and utterly lost. Let that propel you with your kids, with your, with your extended family, with, with uh, the, the person in the store, you, you name it. Uh, let that propel you to seek ways to proclaim the message of reconciliation to them, the message of Christ whom you love so deeply. It's one of those things where um, if, 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 that, if we don't practice almost like telling ourselves and by the Spirit saying, okay, Paul's saying we are ambassadors of Christ. It's not just we collective, it is we collective, but it's also I, I am an ambassador of Christ. That's something that's not going to change between now and tomorrow. That's fundamentally true to who I am because that's God has saved me for it. And there's another thing, another way that we can apply this, albeit a, a specific thing to our church family. Um, it's in the form of an event, not an event, a, 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 a ministry uh, coming in the fall. But I wanted you to be aware of it right now in preparation for the fall. It's called the Bridge Course, and it's something that um, you may you may have heard of on Wednesday. Shared a little bit about it then, but uh, I want want to explain the bridge course to you even just from, from uh, its own website. It says, everyone believes something. We all believe something even if we don't think about it that much. The bridge is a chance to explore what true Christianity is all about. It's a chance to interact, ask questions, and share your point of view without pressure. How the course works. The bridge course is a 10-week introduction to Christi Christianity which is designed to encourage conversation and interaction in a welcome, questions welcome environment. The bridge provides a safe space where you can share what you believe or just listen. It's, it's an environment where you can find answers to some of life's biggest questions, enjoy community with others and find meaning in life. To help you on this journey, each in-person session is split up into three parts. There's a meal, which when do we celebrate a meal together as a church? Wednesday nights. So it'll be happening on Wednesdays. A meal, a talk, and a conversation. Here's the thing. A lot of people don't know this, but we've done the bridge course before. Uh, three years ago, Mark Waite led the bridge course in the heart of the COVID season over Zoom. And this is something that you might have heard of similar types of things. We, th we feel like it is a way for us to uh, let people in, to be able to have conversations with them, whether they're uh, skeptical, whether they're searching. What, how is it that we can uh, be ambassadors by, by welcoming people and participating in this? But rather than hear me talk much more about it, I wanted you to hear about it from the perspective of someone who attended that bridge course three years ago that... Some of you were at, but a lot of us didn't even know what was going on because it, it was over Zoom and it was in the middle of the COVID season. But I wanted you to hear from them. So Steve and Nancy, if you don't mind coming up uh, here to share with us. Hi, good morning. It's nice to see you all again. Um, many of you he were here a few months back when Steve and I were baptized and we shared our stories. Our path to baptism included 
an occasional visit here or there to Sovereign Grace. Once in a while, we'd pop into a Bible study and, and participate, mostly listen, though. Um, and then we were asked to join the bridge program. The bridge program came for us at a time when we desperately needed a lifeline. Um, thinking back those few years ago, we were going through some major life changes at that time. We moved to a new home in a new town. I was in a new work situation. My parents came to live with us. Um, and then, of course, there was that little thing called the coronavirus. Um, and the stress, in addition to the isolation, the lack of control, the uncertainty of our future was really overwhelming. The bridge program that we attended, as um, Kale mentioned, it was during the COVID shutdown. So we met uh, weekly via Zoom. We'd meet as a large group and watch a recorded video presentation. Then we got to break into some smaller groups for conversation uh, about what we heard. And we just reflected on what had we just heard, what had we exper experienced in our lifetime, and, and what do we do with that now? Um, the listening and the sharing of stories provided us with a greater understanding of the Bible and our faith and helped to bring us closer to the Lord. Meeting weekly helped us connect and build relationships with several members here at Sovereign Grace, and we're grateful to continue those relationships today. However, we both agree Zoom was really not totally effective. I mean, it worked for us, but I don't know. <laughs> um, the in-person version, I'm sure, will be even more fruitful and fulfilling. The Lord was guiding us through all the wonderful people that we met through the Bridge Program, and it gave us the opportunity to meet the church community, experience the teaching and prayer environment, and we're so grateful for the opportunity to share this with all of you and give you something to think about over these next few weeks. Thanks. <laughs>